Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode. And of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. And hello from the past. I hope the future is going well. Happy (laughs) New Year. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Also, ditto on that. Yeah. By 2023. Hello, 2024. Yeah. Where all of the billionaires are building survival bunkers. (laughs) If you think 2024 is your year, how about we stop having years? Yeah. Let's just hope for the best yeah if you yeah i'm not i'm not saying anything about 2024 because i don't want to put any ideas (laughs) out there for anyone to mess with my life any further yes exactly so you know what we're not even gonna say happy new year yeah just i hope you're having a good day (laughs) that's about as much as we can hope on anybody (laughs) hope you're having a good day yeah the week we don't know yeah but today, the day that you're listening to this, I hope it's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to take the fact that like we almost had huge technical problems as a sign of like 2023's final like, haha. Yes. Yes. Juliet's laptop almost completely didn't want to wake up. Yeah. So that was fun. Yeah. And now our top movies of 2023. Which are in no particular order as usual. Yeah. Making lists is hard. Asking two Virgos to make a list is... is a herculean task juliet has to make another list for albums of the year and i'm sure that that takes so much brain power that by the time that you get to this movie list you're just like whatever (laughs) yeah well because the albums i have to rank and these i just refuse to rank oh okay because yeah ranking is dumb ranking i don't like ranking it's hard yeah and i always worry i'm gonna miss something and it's yeah well as per usual you know we always say like any day that you ask us our top 10, yep. it's going to be a different top 10. Oh, so yeah. it's easier to just say like, these in general are the best ones that we liked. And it honestly was pretty hard to narrow it down to 10 this year. It was. This was yeah. a difficult year for ranking. Yeah, I feel like there wasn't a lot of middle ground this year. Like movies were either really, really good or really, really mediocre. Right. There weren't a lot of, for me, like middling movies. Mm-hmm. Like I either really liked something and was all about it. Or I was just kind of like, eh, like I knew what definitely was not going to go on my list. I had a lot of movies that just barely didn't make it. Right. But they were so good. They could easily, like if you ask me tomorrow, they might be swapped in for one of these on my list. Yep. Every time Juliet and I go out to eat, it's always like, put down the menu, stop looking at it because you're going to change your mind. And that's exactly what I had to do with my list too. It's like, okay, I picked 10, like just throw it away yeah you know like yeah. i can't keep looking at it because i'm gonna swap out three of them i know it oh yeah so yeah but i'll start okay. with uh one that is on my list that is not on your list okay so this was released on shutter it was a shutter exclusive streaming it did not get a theatrical release but i put on my list vhs 85 i love the vhs movies i love a good anthology series actually the last few vhs movies have not been my favorite either they had kind of uneven pacing or like thematically I wasn't into the individual anthology stories the wraparounds were good but in this one in particular this was a very very solid entry in the series I would say that I would probably rank this one up next to the first two it had a really really cool wraparound the wraparound wasn't like jarring to get in and out of the story and back to the wraparound. The stories themselves were cohesive. It definitely looked like it was made in the 80s. Like there's one where, you know, it looks like they're recording it on a home video camera and they did a really good job with that too. It didn't look like tacky or campy. So yeah, I thought like in terms of quality, it was definitely above, I think it was 98 or 92 or something. I can't remember what the last one was, but I definitely liked it a good deal more than that. So yeah, that was my first one that made it to my list. Nice. Well, I'm going to do one that was also not on your list that ties into another one from my list that we'll talk about a little later, Sick, which 
made its festival debut in 2022, but came out on Shudder in 2023 in okay. January. This was a new horror film from Kevin Williamson, who we know and love, of course, from the Scream franchise. It was really exciting to see him back in a horror screenwriting capacity, because while he did serve as, I believe, a producer on Scream 5 and 6. He hasn't been in a writing capacity for quite a while since Scream 4 Mm -hmm. and hasn't written a horror movie since then. He's worked primarily in television since then. So his return to horror with a pandemic-influenced horror story that I really appreciated. It had some really nice twists and turns. And you could see that kind of sensibility from Scream, you know, both the sort of like nods to working with Wes Craven, but also like if you know the structure of Scream movies, you could see that playing out in a different way. And I really liked that. My hope is honestly at this point, and I'll get into this a little more later, dear Kevin Williamson, please come back and save the Scream franchise. Yeah. We need you. Uh, (laughs) Be her superhero. Yeah. (laughs) Stuff is looking pretty dire at this point. A lot of people have been asking, you know, and kind of like putting it out there, like, will he come back to scream in a writing capacity at some point in the franchise's life. And obviously up to this point, it hasn't happened, but I feel like all bets are off now. Right. And I feel like maybe perhaps him stepping back into that writing role (laughs) whenever they make the next one, I I don't even know what's going to happen at this point with that franchise. That might be the right choice. And that would definitely, I think, be a way to perhaps regain trust with audiences. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But Sick is really great. If you're a fan of the Scream franchise, you should check it out. It's available on Shudder. And if you also are interested in looking at how the pandemic has influenced horror, I think this is a really good example of what people are starting to do coming out of the pandemic and using that as a storytelling tool. Yeah, it was really cool to see a pandemic era and produced movie. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've seen lots of movies that have to do with, like, a pandemic, but this was our COVID yes, pandemic. the so. pandemic. Right. All right, let's do one that we both had on our list. Okay. I'm going to open it up with It Lives Inside. Okay, yeah. So we saw this one together. It's like an Indian-American coming-of-age movie, but it's also a horror story. Yep. And you don't get to see a lot of Indian-American movies in general, although this year we did have several more than is typical, and especially not Indian-American horror movies. So seeing this sort of Indian-American coming of age, like dealing with being an Indian-American teenager and fulfilling both like American societal roles and also like your, you know, like Indian parents' expectations and kind of honoring that while also having like a scary spooky spirit thing happening to you and other people around you it was pretty good I really enjoyed it I did too I like that it took kind of a well-trodden horror trope you know of you know teenagers evil spirits something is attached to one of them and it's influencing a group of friends and they have to figure out how to help someone who is either possessed or like beholden to some kind of thing. In that regard, it's not breaking any new ground, but that's okay because giving us that not from, you know, your typical like white or sort of, you know, air quotes, Hollywood diverse group of kids and really putting it into a cultural context, I think was really cool. I also think it's really notable. The mother's role Mm -hmm. was surprising and kind of great. We meet her as both a very typical, like, one step removed from the action horror film mom, Mm -hmm. but also a very seemingly stereotypical immigrant mother, you know, and she emerges as a really strong character. And it's really, really fun to see some intention put around her depth and her nuance. Like, we meet her as almost a stereotype, and she gets to kind of shine as a character in her own regard. So I think that's also particularly notable about this film. 
It's also a movie that has a lot of heart and it's pretty tame, I would say, for like a movie that has to do with high schoolers. A lot of times and like not to, you know, dunk on them or anything. A lot of times movies that have teenagers in them will have to do with sex and, you know, like drug use or alcohol, you know, whatever, which is fine. That's like totally a trope. But this one ends up being kind of wholesome in that regard. Like the teenagers are actually very sweet and they don't get up to like your typical American teenage hijinks. You know, there's no drinking or parties or sex or anything like that. Like pretty much as as far as it goes, it's like a pretty chaste kiss. Yeah. And that's it. It's very, um, I would say, teen friendly in that regard. And I don't think, although there are some pretty scary elements, I don't think that parents would be like, oh, this subject matter is is too rough for my kid to watch. Exactly. Yeah. I definitely think it's a good accessible, like, grownups could enjoy this. But I also think, like, this is a good, like, 13-year-olds at a slumber party horror film. Like, it's just scary enough, but it's also, like... I think for the average kid is going to feel really accessible. Yeah, I agree. Staying in the vein of kind of kid-friendly-ish horror, Megan. Oh, yeah. Killer dolls for the next generation. (laughs) (laughs) It's a child's play. It's It's, it's child's play for the next gen. (laughs) It is. It is. It's child's play. It's Annabelle, but not really. I really liked this movie. It's such a different movie uh for our time like it felt very weird and unexpected like the trailers had just a tinge of the bizarre to them and i kind of love that i believe it's pg-13 which is really nice uh we dig pg-13 horror i like it when some horror can be accessible to younger folks or people who want to share horror with uh other folks in their life who might not be ready for rated r or unrated horror At its core, I think it's a very sweet story about family and about figuring out, like, how you do right by family. I like that our main adult character is thrust into parenthood and really doesn't know what she's doing and doesn't necessarily want to be, like, a capital P parent, Mm -hmm. but also has love for her niece and is like, okay, I need to take care of this kid, but I'm also, like recognizing that I am not a mom. I never wanted to be a mom. And it's always nice to see that in cinema. Megan herself is such an icon. Uh, She's (laughs) quickly becoming a queer horror icon, which I dig. She's a really fun character. I'm hoping we'll see more of her. I suspect that if we see more of her, it's just going to get more bizarre and campy from here. And I'm kind of here for it. I know. We need to like email Jennifer Tilly and be like, hey, how do you get involved? Because really, oh my God. honestly, yes. like that's my favorite Chucky movie is uh-huh. Bride of Chucky. So like if we can throw Jennifer Tilly into the mix. That'd be I, perfect. I, yeah. Like it would be exactly what it needs. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. I don't know how we would incorporate her, but. Oh, I'm already like in my head like, okay, so Jennifer Tilly is like the head of like a rival toy company that tries to steal the design for (laughs) Megan. And it's like Megan versus like her robot or something. Oh my gosh. That'd be amazing. (laughs) All right, Hollywood, call Juliet. She's got the idea already. I have ideas for you. (laughs) No, I liked Megan. It would have easily made my list, but I tried to make room for some like smaller stuff. Because Megan was totally a slam dunk movie and very entertaining. But I also was like, So I had three more spots to fill in seven movies that I just could not decide between. So like I ended up having to make some decisions. Same. So (laughs) (laughs) So one that was on my list that was very early in 2023, which a lot of these movies were because 2023 was the year of the strike. The strike went on for so long that a lot of movies that were slated to come out this year ended up getting pushed to 2024. So It actually opened the gates, though, for a lot of indie movies to get wide releases so that the movie theaters could have something to continue to show and also documentaries, which was pretty cool. But one that I had on my list from early in 2023 is Knock at the Cabin. So I actually read this book before we saw the movie. And I will say that it is a movie where I like the book better. And I won't spoil it, but the book stays fairly ambiguous while the movie gives us a little bit more of a definitive answer. But I honestly picked this movie specifically because of Dave Bautista. 
I love Dave Bautista after we saw him in Army of the Dead. He has a really small role in Blade Runner 2049, but I absolutely can't wait to see him like do everything. Now. Yeah. I would say he has to be the greatest like WWF, WWE like wrestler to film pipeline star. Like, I completely agree. Like the okay, so The Rock is The Rock. He's always The Rock. Yeah. He's never not The Rock. John Cena Fantastic and Peacemaker, and I would love to see him in more, but Dave Bautista, especially in this movie, is nuanced and quiet and like just acts in such a way that you are completely drawn into him as a character. And I loved that about him. And like, I love the movie in general. It's heartwarming. It's about queer parents. It's about an apocalypse. And it was just really well done. I thought the acting was very good, very convincing. The little girl that's in it is just absolutely adorable. And I don't say that about a lot of kid actors. <laughs> so yeah, I really enjoyed Knock at the Cabin. And I think it's worth watching. In a time when apocalypse movies are kind of a dime a dozen, I think this one is worth watching. I missed this one in the theater and I need to go back and watch it. I haven't been like emotionally ready for it yet. But I will say Dave Batista is kind of known for only participating in projects that he feels really passionately about that he can have fun with in some way, shape, or form, whether that's like a literally fun role or a role where he can really stretch as an actor. And I think when you look at what he's been in, like that's really obvious. And he is a really good actor, like a shockingly good actor. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see him in more. I really loved him in this movie specifically. And I forgot that you didn't get to see this one. Yeah. But yeah, you should watch it. Yeah, I will. So another one that showed up on both of our lists that surprisingly had a lot of emotional depth, I was not expecting it, is Saw X, uh, the latest installment in the Saw franchise. The Saw franchise, I've seen them all, but they can be a little hit or miss for me for a variety of reasons. And this one really marked a return. It is Saw X, but it also puts us at toward the beginning of the franchise in terms of timeline. And, you know, you kind of know what you're getting into with the Saw movie in terms of basic structure. But this one really gave us a lot in terms of character with Jigsaw. It, Tobin Bell got to shine in ways that really kind of honors him as a horror icon. And while all Saw movies, if you look closely enough, do have something to say, which is one of the things I actually appreciate about them, you know, coming from an era that was really fixated on kind of like extreme violence and torture. This franchise has always had a point and it has had a message, but this one really gets at the message by letting us into the characters more. And I was just so pleasantly surprised. I think when we both saw it, I was like, did Saw just make me cry? Yes, like, right. <laughs> Yeah, like, okay, I'm not going to lie. Saw movies, I absolutely fell off the franchise like 10 movies ago. Yeah. I, you know, I watched the first three. It was like the first three or four. And then after that, I'm like, what more could this possibly say? Like, gore porn is not something that I typically get down with. And it started getting to the point where it's like even more and more gory. Like the next yeah. movie had to top the last one. I'm like, I only can see, watch so many people like get their rib cages ripped out of them and all that stuff before I'm like, okay, enough of that. Yeah. And there were so many of them. They were just like coming out and coming out. So I fell off. We watched Jigsaw. I was yep. like, okay, this is pretty refreshing. You know, it's different. It's not what I expected out of a Saw franchise film. Yeah. And so after that, I was like, okay, maybe I'll give it a chance. I wasn't stoked to see this movie, but it hit my list because you're absolutely right. We got to see the John Kramer, you know, like the first movie we get to see his character and like what he's about and what he's willing to do. And that was really scary to me. And in this movie, I found myself actually giving a shit about John yeah. Kramer. And I was like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> like, this is the dude who, you know, like throws people into pits of needles and like yeah. makes them saw their own leg off and put their bare bone marrow into shit you know it was crazy the kills are still extremely uncomfortable oh yeah there's a lovely fake out right at the beginning if you haven't seen this yes. uh it was a delightful fake out if you ask me there were still moments where i was squirming in my seat and was really uncomfortable but 
the fact that they balanced it out with such emotional depth and you had such investment in the characters really made this one a pretty remarkable entry to the franchise. And to be able to do that 10 movies in is very impressive. Yeah. Not only was this like a very thoughtful portrayal of John Kramer, it was actually a sensitive portrayal of a person who is sick and doesn't have a lot of hope. Yeah. And he got swindled. And then seeing retribution happen. Because you already know at the end of this, like, John Kramer's going to survive at the end of this movie. Right. Because this is set between one and two, right? Uh Uh-huh. So you know he's going to survive, but the stakes are still high in this movie. Like, even though you know he's going to make it through, there's still a lot of things to be said in that kind of, like, liminal space between one and two. Yeah. Um, I honestly think that this movie is probably better than the last seven films of the franchise all put together. And I absolutely think that if you have the stomach for a Saw movie, if you enjoyed the first one at all, that you should totally go back and watch this one. Yeah. And if you're an Amanda fan, you will be really happy. That was the other thing I was really worried about based on the trailer is I thought we were only going to see Amanda maybe five seconds longer than we see her in the trailer. And she actually has a pretty big role in this film. And we get to know her more as a character, too, and kind of explore her relationship and partnership with John Kramer. And that's really satisfying as well. I thought so too. I thought that was like one of the bigger strengths of this is like, we don't see Amanda as a lackey, you know, like as a a cowed woman, we see her as like a strong, independent, important part of the plan. Yeah. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Because it, it gets pretty muddy in the later ones. Oh, yeah. And some pretty good links into future films, too. Like, Uh homages. Like, you know what's going to happen in those later films if you've seen them. But some good ways to wrap the story in. Yeah. And I appreciated that. So one that's not on Juliet's list, which I'm actually surprised this didn't make your list, and it did make mine, is Skinnamarink. It was a close contender. Okay. All right. So... I'm not going to say that you either get it or you don't, because that seems really film bro-y, but this is a movie. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's true. Like, if you watch the trailer and this movie fills you with some sort of dread, then you should watch it. Yeah. If you watch the trailer and you're like, this looks like boring garbage, don't watch it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Either it syncs up to some, like, you know, lizard brain ancient childhood terror that you had and you will be cringing in your seat like fingernails dug into your armrests eyes closed stress levels through the roof like this movie it scared me in a way that I I feel like I can't adequately explain to folks that weren't scared by it right my partner who never falls asleep at movies fell asleep during this movie yeah My partner hated this movie. I was so scared that I could not watch parts of this movie. Like, I had to cover my eyes. Yeah. I'm 33 years old, and I had to friggin' (laughs) cover my eyes. I don't know quite how to explain it. I know that people are like, that's art house garbage. And that is a valid opinion to have on this movie, because it is not a straightforward story. Yeah. It's an experience. It is an experience. And I think, you know, how you feel about this film is going to really depend on what you want or need out of a film experience. Like if you need a linear story, this is probably not for you. Nope. But if you are willing to kind of go on a curated journey that's non-linear, but that creates an experience for you, then yeah, you should check this out. I recently read on some, I don't remember which site it was, somebody's best of list. They actually compared this to Maya Darren's films. And I completely agree. I watched a lot of Maya Darren in film school. And it's that same kind of experiential thing where a lot of people do not get her work, but the people that it resonates with understand that experience of watching her films and it's the same way with Skinnamarink. I saw a meme that said my friend was like I want to see that Skinnamarink movie but we couldn't find it so I just put these four pictures together and flipped them back and forth while whispering weird shit in her ear for an hour and a half (laughs) and that is true (laughs) that is the movie yeah but also like I don't quite know how to explain it but it scared me so much I mean, we have a horror movie podcast. It's not like I, I'm a noob to you know, yeah, to yeah. horror movies. I watch them all the time. But something about Skin and Marink, like 
keyed into being a little kid and that like deep seated fear of being stuck in your house and not being able to contact anyone for help and, you know, the house kind of closing in around you and, you know, the darkness and the weird eerie shit that's happening. And then like some random jump scares that like made me, I was jumping in my seat. I truly, I don't know how to explain it. So it hit my top 10. It was close contender for Juliet. It's not going to be in everybody's top 10. No. It's it's certainly not going to scare everybody. But I would say that if you watch the trailer or you see any clips of the movie and it does it for you, give it a chance. Yeah. Also, I think understanding that horror can be more than fear. It's also dread. Yes. Because for me, so much of that film was just dread. Just moments of like oh god yeah you know and they really did a good job of drawing out those moments yeah like you know that ancient fear of looking under the bed yeah like that scene in particular Uh there were times when i was like i can't make it through the rest of this movie yeah i knew that it was only an hour 20 minutes long and i'm like i can't watch the rest so much of it is dependent on your brain doing the work because there are so many things And I think the filmmaker knew what he was doing with this, where, like, especially the stuff with the parents, nothing was said at all, but my brain went to the worst places possible. Yes. And that was all me. Yeah. You know, all the filmmaker had to do was just set that visual and create that scene, and my brain did the rest of the work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it hit my list. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I haven't watched it again. I, yeah, like, I haven't the, either. The movie watching experience was so good. You know, being in the dark, the really good speakers and stuff. If you're going to watch it, turn off all the lights in your house, shut all the windows, lock all your doors and watch it like with the only light in your like and pay attention. I would say too, like this is not a movie where you could just like dip in and out of it or like half watch. Yeah. You really have to be paying it close attention Yeah, in order to really get the intention of the film you have to be paying close close attention yeah i agree another one that was on my list that was not on yours <laughs> let's stay in existential dread land and talk about when evil lurks i want to watch this one so bad i just haven't watched it yet that's why i didn't hit my list but i want to hear what you have to say about yeah it. so thank you shutter for doing limited theatrical runs for a lot of your exclusives like i really appreciate that i'm really really glad i got to see this on the big screen about a week or two before it hit shutter when evil lurks is an argentinian horror film it is in spanish it creates such a different world for horror than we are accustomed to seeing and that's kind of what intrigued me about it in the first place is the trailer seemed really interesting and i was like oh This is nice, like a non-American horror film. Great. It takes the whole like zombie possession genres and twists them on their head and creates something that is very scary and very gory and just really interesting too. The general premise is that we are in a world where We don't get a lot of background about sort of any inciting incidents or whatever, but it is common knowledge that there are demonic possessions. And when somebody in your town is possessed, that possession spreads from person to person to person, almost like a zombie outbreak. And so we follow two brothers who are experiencing this in their town, and they're having to try to basically outrun this possession, protect those they love. And it is scary and it is gory. I think that if you are a fan of like classic Resident Evil, you will love this. I would love to know if the filmmakers like played Resident Evil back in the day because there are some not copies, but it's very much in that spirit of like, especially like Resident Evil 4. Mm -hmm. It is a great, great movie. There are some shocking moments of really well done gore. And it's also just a really interesting story. Well, I love Resident Evil 4. So (laughs) so yeah, I I really do want to watch this when it comes to foreign movies that have subtitles. Like I don't get to watch as many as I would like because it's tough for my partner to watch movies with subtitles. So being that it's 
hard. We don't watch a lot of them. Yeah. When we do, it has to be kind of curated. So I haven't gotten a chance to watch this one yet, but I've heard only good things. I really want to watch it. We're actually going to be featuring a movie similar to this one in 2024. And I love that one. And I've heard a lot of like parallel comparisons between the two. So I really want to watch When Evil Lurks. Like everything that you've said about it and everything that I've read has only made me want to watch it more. So I'm definitely going to watch it soon. I would say that anybody who's even slightly interested in it should give it a try because I've heard incredible stuff. I haven't been able to stop talking about it since I've seen it. Like everybody that I know that likes horror, I'm like, okay, but have you watched this yet? (laughs) Like you need to see this. And it's still streaming on Shudder. So it is. Yeah. So definitely check it out. I mean, really Shudder does a good job of making foreign horror accessible. They do. They do a lot of Asian horror on there too, like Indonesian, Thai, Vietnamese. Some of that stuff is pretty insane. Yeah. So like good on them for making markets that we wouldn't otherwise see accessible. Yeah. They do a really good job of curating that. They do. And I'm excited that they are still bringing stuff to theaters when they're able to as well. And I hope they continue doing that. Speaking of movies that are made in other countries that we would otherwise not have seen, let's talk about Talk to Me. Yeah. Which was on both of our lists. So this is a movie that got picked up by A24. It actually was released last year, and then they distributed it this year in the summer. I didn't know a lot about it going in. I had heard good things. I don't know if it was limited and it went wide, or if it just didn't get a lot of buzz ahead of time, but it is fantastic. I mean, honestly, I was like only excited about this movie because of Miranda Otto. Yeah. Miranda Otto is just a belly badass in every single movie that she's in. You might know her as Eowyn from Lord of the Rings or as Aunt Zelda from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And that was why I watched it. I watched it for her and I stayed for everybody else. Not that she's bad in this movie, just everybody else really shines. It's a classic tale of a haunted item, a possessed item, and a bunch of teenagers who are really, really stupid and they just really want to mess with this like haunted object that's been like passed down, you know, with weird esoteric history, but you don't get a lot of that. And that was what I appreciated is this movie is a tight 90 minutes. They don't give you any backstory, but you don't need it. We're just immersed in the story of what's happening to this group of teenagers and how they're dealing with it. And I really liked it. Yeah, the directors are a pair of brothers, and they kind of made their mark on YouTube first. And they're pretty young. This is a pretty young cast other than Miranda Otto. Lots of new faces. And I'm just really, really excited to see what they do next. I think, to your point about the teenagers being dumb, that was actually one of the things I appreciated is they were so realistically dumb. Yes. Like, on the one hand, you might say, and I hear horror fans say this about various movies, like, those kids are making like really dumb choices. And I'm like, no, these kids are making dumb choices that kids and probably some adults would actually make in the real world. And I just so appreciated that their responses were so genuine. I totally agree. I think that like, yes, they were making bad choices, but we're talking about teenagers here who are at parties. And of course, they're going to be like, haunted object, let's mess with it. Let's stick around with it, you know, and they did. And they absolutely did. And then terrible things happen. Yeah. It is brutal. It is unflinching. It is like gory in parts. It's very bleak. It's a very Uh bleak film. And I read, I think A24 has either greenlit a prequel or another. I don't know if it's just going to be Talk to Me 2 or whatever it is, but I know that they're going to be making another film. Right. So that's really exciting. I hope they don't beat the backstory to death because... I don't think it needs a lot of backstory. Yeah. I think this is a movie that its beauty is in its simplicity. Definitely. So I really, really dug it. There were tons of folks who didn't like it. I know that my partner was like, wow, that movie like really shook me up. Yeah. And and he's he's also a horror movie veteran. So it's not every day that he's like, wow, that movie really shook me up. I think what makes this movie special is that it's the juxtaposition of like your typical haunted object thing and some spooky stuff but also like the real world implications like the real world consequences were so grounded in like brutal brutal reality it made it all the more disturbing yeah i agree 
this was based on that YouTube short and then they made it into a movie. And that happens a lot now, you know, like a YouTube short to, you know, feature film pipeline. But this one, totally worth it. Yeah. And it's not too long. You know, we really don't get a whole lot of backstory, but it's it's really good. Yeah. So circling back around, uh, the next one on my list is Scream 6. We love a Scream movie. (laughs) We love a Scream (laughs) movie right now. Scream 6, I think, is a really good example of how you keep a franchise going well up to this point. I feel like I have to couch everything I'm saying right now because the whole Scream picture is so abysmal moving forward. Right. You know, Scream 5 could have been a flash in the pan. You know, the franchise comes back. We meet new characters. We reconnect with old characters. We all feel good. It's a tight, good story. Can they do it again in number six? And the answer was, yes, they can. They took us to a different setting. It worked really well. I was joking before the movie came out that this was Ghostface Takes Manhattan. <laughs> um, and and yes, it does take place in Manhattan, but I think they used that setting very, very well. Lots of nods back to the history of the franchise. One of the beautiful things about Scream is how self-referential it is without being cheesy. Just like in Saw X, if you are a Kirby fan, Scream 6 will deliver. We get a lot of Kirby, way more than I thought we were going to get, which pleased me a lot. My biggest disappointment now is I don't know where we go from here. Like, And that's not just like, a, oh, how do we replicate it? It's like, literally, they have no cast now. And the director is gone. And who knows? Yeah. Yeah, this one easily could have made my list. And I only didn't put it on so I could put some other stuff on yeah. that maybe... Like, I'm sure that everybody has heard about Scream 6. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's such a well-known franchise at this point. And even if you didn't watch it, the ongoing, you know, craziness that's surrounding it, the exit of the two actual Backbone main characters, the exit of the director who was slated to work on the film, it's basically completely up in the air. So even if you didn't watch the movie, you know about all of the extenuating circumstances, I'm sure. And... That's really heartbreaking because I was really digging these films. I really liked Scream 5. I have such a soft spot for the franchise, but I really like Scream 5. I like this one just as much. And so it's very disappointing to see where it's at right now. I mean, I really don't know how Spyglass is going to be able to salvage it. Yeah. I really don't. Because of the people who really like this franchise, they've already alienated quite a few of them. So I don't know how Spyglass is going to save it. But I did like Scream 6. If this is it then okay. I wish I had continued, but it's yeah. okay. So last movie that was on my list that did not make it onto Juliet's list was Cocaine Bear. Woohoo! I love Elizabeth Banks. She produced this one. I love her so much. I've watched like pretty much anything that she has done except for that Power Rangers movie. It was funny. I thought it was a very fresh take on a, like based on a true story story. It's Ray Liotta's last film. I love the kids in this movie. The kids were great. Margo Martindale is hysterical in this movie. It's not a movie that's going to be winning any Oscars, but I thought it was really fun. Carrie Russell stars in this movie. Like, you know, who would have thought that Carrie Russell would be in Cocaine (laughs) Bear? But it was just a lot of fun. Is it a true horror movie? Who cares? It's, I mean, it's a bear killing people. Come yeah, on. In the, o- on cocaine. Yeah. It's in the in the fine lineage of Grizzly. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought it was really fun. I liked it. I had a great time. I was very entertaining. I think that this is going to be a stepping stone for a lot of the kids that were in the film. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, was it groundbreaking? No. I just thought it was fresh, you know, in, in a year where we had so many movies get pushed back, so many blockbuster films get pushed back. So much controversy and stuff based on the strike. It was just a fun watch. So that's why it made my list. It was exactly what it purported to be. Yes. I like that when a movie knows what it is and just leans into it. Yes. It was not trying to be high art. It was just trying to be a movie called Cocaine Bear. And people getting, you know, just completely torn up by this cocaine bear a cocaine grizzly it wasn't even a black bear it was a grizzly yeah in this movie in the true story it was a black bear but i mean who cares yeah it's a bear yeah. <laughs> like what I are you gonna do <laughs> yeah like i'm not trying to mess with a bear in general let alone yeah. a bear hopped up on cocaine yeah no so <laughs> i really liked it i thought uh, ray Liotta was good carrie russell's really good so yeah i just thought it was fun yeah the rest of the movies that we're gonna do are on both of our lists we have three more 
The first of which harkens back to the past, but in the present. And if you ask the director about it, he's got a whole complicated backstory about how we're supposed to view this film. I don't know if you know this. I didn't know that. Uh, yes. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it does address some of the criticisms of this film, which I did not have. We're talking about Thanksgiving, long awaited horror film. For some background, you know, the trailer for this the original trailer was part of Grindhouse. Mm -hmm. You know, as part of Grindhouse, they had different fake, air quotes, fake trailers that aired between the two films. And some of them became actual movies. This is one that's been talked about for a really long time. It's finally become a reality. Some people were mad because it wasn't exactly the same as that original trailer. Eli Roth was basically like, guess what? I have a way to explain that. And he's got like a whole complicated story. But by and large, this is a really fun entry to the holiday themed slasher genre. In that regard, it's everything I want it to be. Yeah. I mean, Thanksgiving doesn't get a whole lot of love when it comes to holiday movies like that normally goes to Halloween or to Christmas. Yeah. There are Thanksgiving horror movies, but it just doesn't get nearly as many as those other big holidays. I was pleased to see that. I was pleased that they were, you know, putting another movie on the roster that is very clearly about Thanksgiving. A lot of folks said Eli Roth sold out with this movie, but I was How? like, I was like, <laughs> Eli Roth only makes movies for big studios and they're all gory and violent. And this one is no exception to that. Yeah, It's still super violent and bloody. I liked it a lot. I wish it had been streaming for the holiday so that I could watch it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> But hopefully by next year, like it'll be one that I enter into my like, yeah. Thanksgiving tradition. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was tons of fun. Yeah, it's everything I want out of a holiday themed slasher film. Yeah. So what Eli Roth said was, consider that original trailer that was part of Grindhouse as a trailer for a film that like never got completed, like a lost film from oh. 1985. And consider this film the film that was made when the script for the 1985 film was found in the 90s and a director picked it up and made it. Cool, Eli Roth. Yeah, like, oh, okay, buddy, your your brain is, is amazing. <laughs> Nobody needed that, but it's yeah. okay. Yeah, this one, I liked that it got at the heart of like all of the things that are awful about Thanksgiving, like yeah. Black Friday and greed and, and you know, corporate malfeasance of various sorts and forcing family together that maybe doesn't want to be together and Thanksgiving parades, you yeah. know, like it really gets into all of that. And so I appreciated it for that. It's not groundbreaking. It's not like the best movie of all time, but it is fun. Yeah. And it, it was entertaining and it was very gory and violent. And I love seeing Patrick Dempsey in in like yeah. a big role like that. It was lots of fun. Like oh, just yeah. go watch it. It's goofy. It's on streaming now, I think. Like you can rent it or buy it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. It fits in the vein of Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night and all, all of those. It's definitely campy. It's not a serious movie, no. I would say, by any means. All right. So we're down to the last two. So second to last. Evil Dead Rise. Yay. It came out at the beginning of the, the year. Probably one of the first movies we got to see this year in the theater. It was early on, yeah. Like first, definitely in the first three that we got to see. Long awaited, very exciting. It doesn't matter if it falls neatly into the Evil Dead universe or not. It really is like irrelevant because the Evil Dead universe is like all over the place. Yeah. But I really enjoyed Evil Dead from 2013. Yeah. So like yeah. I really, really, really like that one. And so I'm thinking, okay, like, is this one gonna do it for me or is it just gonna be kind of weird? Although I've loved all of the Evil Dead movies. Yeah. I mean, even the TV show, like Ash versus Evil Dead is great. So I'm thinking, I'm going in, little to no expectation. I did love the trailers, but I was really sick of seeing them by the time that we <laughs> God, we saw them so many times. I know. It seemed like for six months we were watching the yeah. trailer for this freaking movie. And it blew me out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. It fits perfectly in with the theme of it. It feels emotionally like a movie that's set exactly within the Evil Dead universe. Alyssa Sutherland, I thought was absolutely incredible in this movie. I can't wait to see what else she does. It's gory. It's gross. It makes you cringe. 
you know, we've got the book, we've got the Necronomicon, we've got, you know, deadites everywhere doing all kinds of crazy stuff, saying like batshit, you know, Bruce Campbell quotes all over the place. And it just felt like very much like what I wanted out of a out of an Evil Dead movie. Yeah. I think right after we saw this, I said, like, I haven't had this much fun with a horror film, like straight up fun, in that there were moments that made me jump. There were moments that made me laugh. There were moments that made me cheer because they said the thing that I wanted them to say. And all the characters were really likable and relatable and well-grounded. And that's hard to pull off all of those things in a movie, especially when it's part of a beloved franchise. And this movie did it. Like, I love the world of the apartment building. Like, that was also a risk, setting it someplace that wasn't the cabin. You know, Army of Darkness aside, because that's its own little special thing. Right. But having the cabin present, but really taking the bulk of the action out of the cabin is a risk. Would it work? Would it not work? It worked beautifully. We recently rewatched this one and I had just as much fun as the first time I watched this. This is one I could watch over and over again. And I'm going to appreciate new things. Uh, The details in the sort of built world of the apartment building are great. So I see new things every time I watch. It's so much fun. And it, to me, really signals, I hope, a bright future for that franchise. Because if they can do this, and the spirit with which they said about this film, and Bruce Campbell has said this in interviews, and um, so have the Raimis, is whoever said there was only one Necronomicon. Right. You know? Yeah. Nobody said that. You know? There could be many. There could be several. And they could all be related or they could all be unrelated or whatever. And I think that just to be able to say that and then demonstrate like, look, here are all the things you like about Evil Dead, but it's not Bruce Campbell and it's not just in the cabin and it's not, you know, the same thing over and over again, just like tears the door open for this franchise. And I hope that they can like keep it going in this spirit because I would like to see more. Yeah. And this is also a movie that centers around children. Yeah. You know, teenagers and also younger children. And them kids ain't safe. No, no. <laughs> it, not only are they not safe, they're they're literally trapped in an apartment with someone possessed by an evil spirit, you know, potentially multiple someones at the same time. And that's not something that we've seen in Evil Dead before. Yeah. It's always been like teenagers, young adults, adults, you know, that are kind of traversing this. So having the introduction of kids who are realistic and like played in a way that makes them sympathetic and not like campy or goofy. Yeah. Was really refreshing. I can't wait to see what more Lee Cronin does. He was the director of the movie. I can't wait to see more of what he does. I hope that he's involved in future Evil Dead, well, Evil Dead movies, not Evil Dead Rise movies. And this cold open, the cold open too, like immediately immerses you into the world of Evil Dead again. And it just really doesn't let up. Also, best horror title sequence of 2023. Yes. For sure. Yes, I totally agree. That to me, that title sequence also really nodded back to like the 70s and 80s in a way that I really appreciate. Okay, last movie, Juliet. It's your turn to start. Oh my gosh. Can I just like lay on the floor and cry and just be like, just go see it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could. I could, yeah. So we're talking about Godzilla minus one. Perhaps the most surprising runaway hit of this year, and it happened so late. It is, pun intended, just stomping throughout the world in its uh, global release. Nice dad pun there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Stomping. This film is, you know, a Toho Japanese Godzilla. We haven't seen that in quite a few years at this point. As I have said, I love the legendary movies as well, but they're different. They're their own thing. They're fine and good. And I look forward to Kong X Zilla, the kaiju ship movie, as I'm calling it. Pink Godzilla daddy movie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Daddy Kong and and (laughs) Pink Godzilla adopt a baby. Yes. But, you know, a Toho Godzilla film is something very special. And this film of the Toho Godzilla films is something extremely special. It really takes us back to Godzilla's origins 70 years ago, back to that original film. This is a World War II film. 
the amazing thing about this film is it is both a really good giant monster horror movie and an amazing human story. And like people are saying this is the best in the entire franchise. And I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Literally every single review that you will will hear about this movie is correct. It's true. It's yeah. It's the highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes of all movies this year. It is the most successful live action Japanese film in history. And it absolutely deserves every single yeah. accolade that it gets. Godzilla himself as a monster is incredible. It's well animated when it's CG. The practical version is gorgeous. It pays homage to the original while not making it look like a dude in a rubber suit. The story is just as good. It's human. It's a World War II story from a perspective that we as American audiences don't often get to see. We care about all of the characters. Yeah, It slowly builds into a real character piece where by the end you're like i really give a shit about every yeah. single person in this movie i give a shit about this kid even though i don't care about kids in movies most of the time i care about the main character i care about all of the side characters i want to see you know you want to feel good about them and i really really hope that we get a sequel or another movie that has takashi yamazaki at the helm because i want to throw all of my money at him all the time now yeah and They've said that this movie was like there was reports of this movie that had a $15 million budget, which is like tiny in comparison to like Marvel franchise films. And the director actually laughed at that and was like, I wish I yeah. wish they had, had gotten that much money. So who knows what the actual budget was, but it is lovable. It is a horror movie with heart. It feels good. I did not expect to cry at a Godzilla movie. No, me neither. Not only like cry but like cry multiple times you know yeah. to actually care and and feel real emotion at a godzilla movie because yeah it sucks he's stomping on people he's blowing up you know there's buildings that are falling clearly people are being crushed by this but like this is truly a movie that is careful and and poetic and has a story to tell even outside of godzilla like yeah you actually care about the movie and Godzilla is a big instigator, of course. And just a word on the technical aspects of this film. The DP, like, give him an award. Whoever edited the music and sound, oh like, my God. just it's so good. Let me kiss yeah. them on the mouth. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's incredible. It's a movie where silence is just as important as music and sound. Yeah. And like, oh my God, I felt like I got you know sucker punched i was crying so hard at the end of this movie yeah and, and then afterwards of course you're like no i didn't cry at the godzilla movies it was good but i didn't cry at, at the godzilla movies were you crying i saw you <laughs> sniffling like <laughs> it is a movie that i will readily admit that i absolutely bawled my eyes out at yeah and it is so good i can't wait to see more yeah i i went in expecting this to be fun and the interesting thing about this is you know, this is the 70th anniversary of Godzilla, and we had heard there was going to be a new Toho film, and sometimes we don't even get them in the U.S., like right. theatrical, and we said, okay, I hope I hope we get this. Okay, we're going to get it. It's the 70th anniversary of Godzilla. We're going to go see this in the theater, and I was expecting it to be fun. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting this to be like high cinema, and that's right. what it is, and the fact that it went from a one or a two-day engagement in the U.S. and it's still playing yeah. and it's opening up worldwide in countries that it was not supposed to have a theatrical run in is just a testament to how good this film is. It is still in our theaters here. It was supposed to be like November, what, like 30th and December 1st. And that was literally going to be it. Yep. And it's still running. Yeah. It's so good. I can't wait till it comes out on Blu-ray because I'll watch this movie a thousand times. Yeah. It's so memorable and the characters are so likable and the effects are just so good. I can't even rate it highly enough. If this didn't make, like it was going to make my top 10 hands down, but even if we were doing like top 10 rom-coms of the year, I would still put this one on my <laughs> list uh, because I mean, it's not a romantic comedy by any stretch of the no. imagination, but if this doesn't make your top 10, you're not watching movies. I don't know. I don't even know how else to say it. Yeah. And really, 
I know not everybody can go to the theater for a variety of reasons, but if you are living someplace where this is showing in the theater, you really do owe it to yourself to have a big screen experience with this. Oh my gosh, the sound is just, it's just incredible. Yeah. Like, I can't spoil it, but there are moments of the movie where like, you either have like the surge of joy. Yeah. Or you're like, oh my God, like something intense is about to happen. Yeah. And it's just perfect. The cues are just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Can't say more. Please go see this movie. If you can't go see it in the theater, buy it on Blu-ray, rent it, whatever you have to do in order to be able to watch this movie. Come over to my house. I'll show it to you. (laughs) Whatever. We'll we'll make popcorn, whatever, whatever. Like, I want to show it to everybody. I think it's, it's an important, it's an important historical movie. It is. Like, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but like, it's historical fiction, of course, because Godzilla isn't real, but it's a an important movie about Japan after, during and after World War II, the side effects of, yeah. you know, people coming home from the war and going back to their villages and towns where they're completely destroyed. It's really important. It's got such an important message. And it's also got Godzilla. So. Yeah, it has both. One of the best Godzillas. Like, Oh, he's so good. He looks great. I want to just say, like, forget Godzilla and King Kong. Like, forget those movies. Like, I love the legendary <laughs> movies. I'm so glad that we live in a time when we can see this, like, serious, good Toho stuff and also the goofy yeah. legendary stuff. But forget everything you think that Godzilla is supposed to look like. This is what Godzilla should oh, look yeah. like forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Legendary Godzilla is adorable in his own chubby-necked way. Yes. He's he's a bulky Godzilla. He's a bulky man. He's a bulky man. But this Godzilla really takes the classic looks. Like his face really harkens back to the original several Godzillas and really combines the things we love about that iconic face, that iconic nose, and modernizes them just a little bit. You know, every Godzilla has kind of his own special thing. This Godzilla has his own special thing. Yeah. I will not spoil what it is because that is a really cool moment where I was like, whoa, yeah. what is that? Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, good. it's this is a really cool Godzilla. Okay. Honorable mentions. Honorable mention. You can't have a best of list this year without Barbie. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. So Barbenheimer was like, everybody's like, no, this is the movie experience of this year. Barbie came out same weekend as Oppenheimer. Barbie was like racking up the cash. Oppenheimer was racking up the cash. I didn't see Oppenheimer because that. Yeah. (laughs) I saw a meme that was like, wow, this Oppenheimer sequel talking about Godzilla is really good. It's actually better than the original. Yeah. And although that that was a joke, I actually agree. And I think that Godzilla was better. But anyways, this is is about Barbie. (laughs) I laughed. I cried. I quoted it. I sang I'm Just Ken a thousand times alone in my house. It was a beautiful movie that I didn't know I needed to see that healed a tiny piece of my soul. Yeah. And I freaking loved it. Yeah. Same. Same. Like, I don't know. It it was just so good. I knew that I wanted to see it in part out of curiosity. You know, like a Barbie movie has been rumored for years. There have been several failed attempts. With Greta Gerwig at the helm, I was hopeful. It's funny because the first couple of trailers for that were like okay but they were slightly confusing i was like i don't know what this is but the trailer where they got me where i think she knew her audience was the trailer where they show the them dancing and they stop and barbie says do you ever think about dying yes. and i was like oh yeah you know who you're marketing this movie to exactly <laughs> i see yeah i am the target market for this yeah awesome. so you're seeing this beautiful barbie played by margot roby you know whatever i'm like okay how much more do i need to see her stupid beautiful face i like <laughs> I, I like wh- of course she's barbie I don't, that's not yeah. gonna make me feel good and of course ryan gosling is ken like of course fuck off like i can't i can't even you know i don't want to watch this movie but then she's like do you ever think about dying and i'm like oh okay i will say it's not a movie for kids no it's definitely dealing with some higher level shit than that it probably wouldn't take like a a little little kid to see it maybe an older teenager yeah but i think it spoke to our generation specifically yeah as a femme presenting person coming up in the 90s and early aughts it was perfect. Yeah. It was exactly the type of movie that I wanted to see. And I just, I thought it was 
<laughs> it just was so good. I mean, the the soundtrack was probably one of my most listened to soundtracks this year. Oh, yeah. It's got some really, really, really good music in it. Yeah. And if you can get through the Billie Eilish song without bawling your eyes out. Oh, shut tell up. me how. Nobody can. <laughs> Nobody can. No, that it it just really was very good. There's been some criticisms of it, which I, I can see how it like resonates, you know, some of the criticisms, which is fine. I love Greta Gerwig's movies. And yeah. this just like gave me the seal of approval where I'm like, well, just if she's making a movie, I'm just gonna throw money at her. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I really like this one. And I thought that the like seeing it in the theater afterwards, I was like, wow, I cried like five times. Why did I cry so many times? Yeah. <laughs> Which I was not expecting to do that at a Barbie movie. Definitely not. Yeah. I don't even know if it's an honorable mention, but I want to mention Bo is Afraid. Because I don't think we're talking about this movie enough, but I know why we're not talking about it enough. (laughs) It's Ari Aster's latest film. It is not what you would expect based on Hereditary and Midsummer, And yet it's actually exactly what I would expect from the person (laughs) who made Hereditary and Midsummer. And I wanted to just mention it because I was very, very lukewarm going into this movie. I think it suffered from bad trailers, but I also think it's a hard movie to express in a trailer, which is kind of the problem with all of Ari Aster's movies is how do you even get at them in a shortcut trailer? Yeah. But it was actually really good. It's a very long movie. So I think it'll actually find its life on home media and streaming a lot more than it did in the theater. I know a lot of people who are like, I like Ari Aster enough to take a risk on this movie, but I'm not going to go to a three hour movie. Yes. We, my partner and I ended up seeing it. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. And I really am intrigued by the story he was telling. And just like every other Ari Aster film, I want to watch it again. I want to spend some more time with it because he's doing something really interesting in it. And I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. So it's not even an honorable mention, but I would just encourage you if you have not given this a chance because you, like me, were kind of like, I don't know what this is. This trailer is weird. It doesn't seem like it's like Hereditary and Midsummer, and it's long. I see you. I get that. But now that it's kind of out and available and you can watch it at home, it is worth giving a chance. I have not seen it for all of those reasons, so I will <laughs> I will do it. I yeah. I didn't know what to make of it. And I also, I'm tired of Joaquin Phoenix. I am too. That was I'm, another reason I was really, really hesitant. I used to love him. I used to watch everything that he was in. And then we got Joker-fied. And yep. I did like the Joker movie. I think it is a quality film. I think he is a very, very, very good actor. But I hated the reception of the Joker and or Joker, I guess it's just Joker. So when he was doing this one and he was doing Napoleon, I was like, I'm kind of sick of him and I don't really want to watch it. But I will give it a chance because you just because you said that. Yeah. Also, watch it for Patti Lapone. I love Patti Lapone. Yeah. Did you know that she and Aubrey Plaza are roommates? No. Because they're in a Broadway show together and Aubrey Plaza like was in New York and was like, I don't know what to do. And Patty Lapone was like, come and stay with me. And now they're like BFFs. That's amazing. And I'm like, I love I'm, that. I'm trying to get invited to one of those parties. Me too. A Patty Lapone Aubrey Plaza party. It's going to be so weird. I want to experience that. But you know, they're going to have some really good cheese. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I have two more on my honorable okay. mention list. So no one will save you. It's a Fox film. It was on Hulu. It was streaming. It is an alien movie. It does some very interesting things with little to no dialogue. The entire movie has three words in it. And that's it. Three spoken words. There's some music in it. It was very interesting. It left me feeling very puzzled at the end of it. But they did some really cool stuff with aliens and took some really ballsy risks. And so I really liked it. And I think that people should watch it. I forget the name of the actress. I will look it up. But she was in Booksmart with um, Beanie Feldstein. Oh. She was the co-star of that one. Caitlin Dever. So Caitlin Dever is the main actress and one of the only people in this entire film. And it's about her struggle with being a homebody. Through the course of the film, we get kind of more and more pieces of it. It was just really cool. It depicted anxiety and like agoraphobia and social anxiety in a way that I thought was very interesting and realistic. 
I don't know. I think that more people should watch it. It's very polarizing. A lot of people didn't dig it for one reason or another, but it was really cool. And the other one that I had on my honorable mentions is Insidious the Red Door. Yeah. So I never really dug the Insidious movies very much. I really liked the first one. But then after that, I kind of fell out with them. And it was mostly because the story went kind of haywire. The second one had to do with like the possessing spirit. And there was this whole story of like the mom and she really wanted her boy to be a little girl. And it got really weird. But then the one where we kind of go back in time to explore the psychic's backstory and Uh how I thought that was really good. And it grabbed me back. Well, Insidious the Red Door was produced by Patrick Wilson. Yeah, he directed it. Yeah. So he produced and directed it. Patrick Wilson did. And I thought to myself while I'm watching it, he must love this franchise so much to have devoted time and effort and directing, you know, this movie to finish it out, to kind of finish out the series. And I really thought that it was a very touching film. I don't think it got a lot of like praise yeah. in general because it's part of a franchise that kind of fell off there for a while. It's the fourth movie in a franchise. So of course you're going to have some people that aren't going to watch that far, but it really was a very nice way to wrap up this franchise. And I just wanted to give props to Patrick Wilson because he did a really good job of both acting in this film. And I mean, Rose Byrne came back too. Yeah. And the little boys came back. The kids who are in the first Insidious movie came back to play their own characters. So it was really good. It was a nice way to wrap up the franchise. There's a, been a lot of time since the second and the third one. So the kids are all grown up. Yeah. It's, a, it's about the, the eldest. The fifth, actually. Oh, the fifth. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's about him going, to, the eldest boy going to college. And in between the third and the fifth movie, Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson have divorced. Yeah. So kind of getting through that, you know, split apart family, reconnecting with your son, and then some shit goes down, obviously, as it does in an Insidious movie. Definitely worth a watch. I mean, it wasn't on my top 10 this year, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Patrick Wilson for loving this franchise so much that he literally directed the last film in the franchise so that he could wrap it up and really like have closure with it. So yeah, it was a really nice installment of the franchise. And I think it was nice to tie in kind of everything that came before you know we get little nods to some of the other films and and our beloved characters from the other films and uh yeah i really appreciate his commitment to the franchise as well i was just like man you really have to love this franchise to be like yeah i'm gonna be in this movie i'm and i'm gonna direct it yeah so best of 2023 woo woo and this year i pledge that my new year's resolution is that i will actually put all of the movies that we watch in the theater and also for Attack of the Final Girls on my letterboxed. That's my resolution. I like that. Because every single year I'm like, have to go back through all of our messages. (laughs) I have to go back through me and Matt's messages and find the movies that we've gone to see together. And it's always such a pain in the ass. So this year, Teresa is going to be different. I'm going to be a different (laughs) person this year. I'm going to actually put notes in the movie and I'm going to put it on my phone. So that way I remember all of the films. So at the end of the year, I'm not scrambling (laughs) because I always do that. Always do that. Yeah, I do too. So next time we're jumping back into movie land with 2016's The Void, which will be exciting to chat about. A lot of stuff happening in that movie and a really cool example of a crowdfunded film that kind of made it big. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one. We haven't talked about a Lovecraft movie ever in a while. I don't know that we ever have. I could be wrong about that. It's our third year, y'all. Oh, my God. (laughs) Shh, Juliet. The podcast is a baby. It's a a little infant. It's baby. It's a little little baby. Yeah. All right. So The Void next time. See you then. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com. And hear bonus episodes at patreon.com slash attackofthefinalgirls. We're Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and TikTok. Our theme music is by House Ghost and is available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode and rate and review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. I'm Juliet. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.